realized in our time together last evening that we were not giving you an exposition of the entire life of Peter or even the books penned by Peter, but rather just looking at his potted history and trying to draw some lessons for life from that. And that's exactly what we're doing this evening and again tomorrow evening, God willing, as well. Can everyone hear me okay? Yeah? Are they super duper? That's wonderful. Because I've got no way of knowing. <laughs> and uh, there we go. Now, just a short Bible reading this evening in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 5. So Luke's Gospel and chapter 5. And then also keep your thumb in John chapter 13. We had to get to that chapter, didn't we? So Luke chapter 5, first of all, and then John chapter 13. <clears throat> So Luke 5, we read here about the calling of the first disciples, chapter 5 and verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. I mean, can you imagine that in your mind's eye? So many people there crowding around and listening to God's word. That's the kind of thing we long for to happen in our day, isn't it? Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one below him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. <clears throat> when he had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed Jesus. And there we finish the end of that uh, section at the beginning of Luke chapter 5. Now, in these three little talks, we're spending a wee while together looking at our friend, the Apostle Peter. I sometimes think of him, as you'll appreciate from our study last evening, as the Apostle with a foot-shaped mouth. I mean, more often than not, he put his foot in it, didn't he? But then as we discovered last evening on that one memorable occasion, he put two feet in it, jumped over the side, and he ended up getting rather wet. That was yesterday. How to walk on water. And the bottom line is, as I said last evening, if you want to walk on water, as someone has said, number one, you've got to get out of the boat. 
And number two, for you and for me, we've got to keep our eyes fixed and focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's when a reckless abandon in faith to God comes right into the frame. Now, this evening, we're thinking about something a little different, but no less significant. How not to lose face? How not to lose face? Now, let's be honest, dear friends. I'm sure from the youngest to the oldest among us, not one of us likes to lose face. We don't want an omelette smashed across us, do we? We just don't like that. I'm sure if I were to go around you one by one and ask you this evening, you would all confirm that none of us likes other people to think badly of us. What do we guard perhaps more than anything else in this life? I'm sure many of us guard our reputation and we guard that zealously and we guard that jealously. Why do we want to guard our reputation? Quite frankly, it means so much to us. The bottom line, folks, is this, that number one, we want to be well thought of, and number two, we don't like to blow it. Jesus Christ was different, hugely different. You remember the apostle Paul writes of him in that wonderful chapter two in the book of Philippians, and he said about him that he made himself of what? Of no reputation. Here is one who left the highest heights of glory, stepped down many rungs on the ladder, touching down on planet Earth. He made himself of no reputation. How not to lose face? Did you see where Jesus is right here at the beginning of Luke chapter 5? Well, he's down where he's often been before. He's down there by the water's edge, the edge of the shore's of Lake Gennesaret. And the people are crowding around him. There's so many people gathered there on that hillside. They're hanging out everywhere. And as I said during the course of the reading, they're listening to the words that Jesus was talking. They're listening to him preaching unto them the Old Testament scriptures. And then because of the crowd being so vast and so great, Jesus hops a ride in one of the wee boats, goes out a little bit from shore, and he will use that boat as a pulpit. And you know, I think one lovely lesson we learn there about the Lord Jesus is simply this, that Jesus never missed an opportunity. And you know, when it came to preaching his word, and when it came to utilizing other means to be able to do it, it just seems to me that Jesus was as flexible and as adaptable as they come. I could probably put it a little more strongly when I say that Jesus was not a stickler for change. I mean, had any of the others thought about using the boat as a proverbial pulpit? Probably not. And so for the Lord Jesus to take the initiative, it was something highly innovative. Why did he do it? Well, he wanted to maximize the opportunity. He wanted to make the most of this particular occasion. And then after he had preached the word of God, did you see what he did? Take a look down there in verse four. It says that when Jesus had finished speaking, he singled Simon out by name. And he said to him, put out into deep water 
let down the nets for a catch. In other words, they told Peter to lunge out into the deep and catch some fish. Now, from what we know of Peter so far, can you imagine what Peter must have been thinking? I reckon his mind was working overtime at this particular point, and he must have been thinking something like this. Well, you know, Lord, why don't you just stick to what you're good at? What do you know about fishing? Don't tell us how to do our day job. In other words, dear Lord, you stick to preaching. Dear Lord, you were brought up in a carpenter shop. You're a joiner by trade and by profession. Why don't you just stick to making wooden tables and wooden chairs? What do you really know about fish and about fishing? Now, I reckon that's gone through Peter's mind. And how do I know? Because when you read further down into the narrative, you discover he's actually getting a wee bit big here for his fishing boots. But, you know, bless him, credit where credit is due. He does exactly what Jesus tells him to do, but not before he offered his opinion. Did you notice that? We've been out all night and we've got nothing to show for it. We've toiled all night and we haven't caught a single fish. I mean, it's a proverbial story for fishermen, isn't it? It's the ones that always got away. And that's exactly what you have right there in Luke chapter 5. But look, friends, after they went out into the depths of the Sea of Galilee and they threw the nets over the side, wow, it's nothing short of a miracle, is it? So many fish. It was huge. It was ginormous. Nothing short of fantastic. And that's when they very quickly realized who Jesus really was. And you see what it says down there in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, what did he do? He fell down at the knees of Jesus and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Do you know, I think that was a significant, momentous turning point in the life of our friend Peter, when he not only realized something of the omnipotence and the holiness of Jesus Christ, but he also saw himself before him as a dyed-in-the-wool sinner. And does that not have echoes of what happened to the preacher man Isaiah in chapter 6 of his wonderful, wonderful book? It was the very same year that King Uzziah died. What did the prophet do? He made a beeline for the temple. He wanted to hear God. He wanted to see what God would do in that particular situation. And the Bible makes it ever so clear that as God revealed himself to a servant, he said, woe is me, for I'm a sinful man. I am unclean. And you see, friend, what the Lord Jesus did was so very good for Peter's ego, wasn't it? It actually shrunk his big head. And so what you have unfolding right here, as a direct response to Jesus' command, go out and catch a few fish, Peter falls down before him. A reminder one more time of the awesome power of Jesus Christ. And then you see what happened immediately afterwards down there in verse 10. He said to Simon again, he says, hey, buddy, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid from now on. You're going to catch men. 
You see what happened ever so quickly? He's preaching one minute. They're out there catching fish the next minute. Peter recognizes his sinfulness, his dirty life and dirty heart. And Jesus commissioned him from this day forward. I've got something special that I want you to do. Now, I think there's one or two lessons we can learn from that particular narrative, isn't there? And they all revolve around three different pairs of verbs. The first set chooses and uses. The second set moves and proves. The third set conceals and reveals. Okay, so number one. Jesus chooses not to minister to other people all alone. Jesus chooses not to minister to other people all alone. And did you see what's happening right here? He gets other people involved. Men just like Simon Peter. Don't you love that about the Savior tonight? He specializes in using boringly ordinary monochrome individuals just like you and just like me. Plain vanilla people, God specializes in using every one of us. He could do it on his own if he chose to, but he prefers to use you and me. The second lesson we learn is this, that Jesus uses the familiar to do the incredible. He uses the familiar to do the incredible. I mean, read the story one more time. It was in the grind of everyday things that God did what? That God showed his power and that God drew back the curtain, as it were, and showed something of his glory. And that's how he still works, isn't it? You think about your life, perhaps even what you've been doing today. Things have been a tad mediocre for whatever reason. There's been a sameness to what you've done today, to what you've done every Saturday for the last number of months. It's been just a daily routine, and sometimes that can become a bit of a grudge and a drudge. But it's in moments like that, in the familiar, that Jesus comes ever so near, and he wants to make himself known. Isn't that what he did to Peter? They're out fishing. Sure, the day job. They've been doing it for many a long year. It was there and then that he revealed himself. And the third lesson is, Jesus moves from the safety of the scene to make us trust him through the risk of the unseen. He moves from the safety of the scene to make us trust him through the risk of the unseen. You see what he does right there at the very beginning of the chapter? He takes us beyond the shallow waters from where we are out into the deep. And my friend, I think the lesson we learned from that is so beautiful, isn't it? Don't be afraid to venture out. God can be trusted and you can trust him. He doesn't want you just to be ankle deep, as it were. He doesn't want you just to be up to your tummy. He wants you to be up to here, neck deep, swimming, as it were, in the river of his plan and his purpose. You can trust God when he says to you and to me, launch out 
into the deep. And then number four, Jesus proves the potential by breaking our nets and filling our boats. I mean, isn't that exactly what he did? He proves the potential, breaking the nets and filling our boats. And it wasn't only one boat that they filled with fish. There were two boats they filled with fish, and they were both beginning to sink, weren't they? Wow. Does that not remind us of Paul again at the end of Ephesians chapter 3? The God to whom we come day after day is one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. But folks, is anything too hard for the Lord? Let me put it very simply. Nothing is too hard for him. God wants to amaze you and surprise you with his ability to stretch you and to take you even beyond your wildest dreams. And then number five, Jesus conceals his surprises until we follow his leading. Jesus conceals his surprises until we follow his leading. I mean, look at it again in Luke chapter 5. For these fishermen, it just seemed to be business as usual, didn't it? Same boat, sure. Same stretch of water, sure. The same faces, sure. The same very heavy oars, sure. It was all the same, wasn't it? Until they lowered their nets. And then they experienced something that never ever known before. It was miracle time. My question for you this evening is this. When was the last time that God surprised you? When was the last time that God surprised you? And then finally, number six in this little narrative, Jesus reveals his objective to those who were willing to give up their security. Jesus reveals his objective to those who were willing to give up their security. And again, you see how it all comes together so neatly in the story, like pieces in the proverbial jigsaw. It was only after the disciples did what Jesus asked them to do that he told them, down there in verse 10, it was only then that he told them his ultimate aim and aspiration for them. He told them his goal for every one of them, not to be fishing for fish out in the Galilee. No, he wanted them to go further and deeper and to be fishers of men. In other words, these men had to leave their comfort zone on shore. And that's when they discovered God's purpose and God's plan. And maybe God is saying to you this evening, as he's often said to me, they want you to launch out. Hey, folks, trust him, for he will not fail. Trust him, and you will not be disappointed. Now, at this point, let's face it, Peter's confidence down there in verse 10, verse 11, I think it goes by saying his confidence is sky high, isn't it? He was prepared at this point in the story to go anywhere for Jesus. He was willing to do anything for Jesus, even though he's on the shore. I think we could say about Peter right now, he is riding on the crest 
of a wave. Okay? Now, turn over in your Bibles to John chapter 13. Okay? John chapter 13, the best part of three years have now come and have gone. Now we find ourselves in the upper room in the city of Jerusalem. It's only a few hours before Calvary would happen. Jesus would die for your sin and mine on that middle cross. And who is there? Jesus is there in that upper room. The disciples are there in that upper room. They've shared a Passover meal together. And then, you're probably familiar with this chapter, but then Jesus did something he had never, ever done before. Okay? Take a look at verse 4 and verse 5. Verse 4 and verse 5. So Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around them. Did you notice that? Jesus got up from the table. Jesus took a towel. Jesus took a basin filled with water. And what did he begin to do? He started to wash the dirty, smelly feet of each of his disciples. But folks, what is that? That is an act of authentic humility. That's exactly what that is. Do you know what we're talking about here? This is God. And he's down on his hands and knees on a wooden or a concrete floor, washing the feet of his followers. Do you know what that is? That's a ministry of serving others. But it seems to me that in today's church, by and large, around the world, too many folks want to be stars on a kind of an evangelical stage. That's not the kind of people Jesus is looking for. He's looking for servants, isn't he? Too many of us want to be celebrity or cult status. But that's not what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for men and women, fellas and girls, who will take a towel and a basin of water. When God calls you and I to follow him and to launch out into the deep for him, it's an invitation to you and to me to take on board what I would call basin, not basic, but basin theology. For your life and mine is like his. It is that of serving others. You know, the disciples had a problem. We didn't read about it, but the disciples have a problem there. Do you know what the problem is? The problem is one of pride. And according to Luke chapter 22, which is linked to this particular narrative, do you know what these guys are talking about? They're arguing among themselves over which of them is going to be the greatest in the coming kingdom of God. They're arguing about who's the best among them, who is the biggest among them. Every single one of them, they all want to be number one in the kingdom of God. They want, like their mother wanted for them as well, the best seats in the kingdom. And that's when Jesus decided to get up from the table, take a towel and a basin of water, 
and teach them a powerful lesson on humility. So that's the background to all that's happening right here. Now, Peter. What was Peter's response? Well, you have it down there for him, don't you, in the chapter 13? Let's be clear. He didn't do himself any favors, did he? Basically, Peter was having none of it. He felt as though Jesus was undermining him. He felt as though Jesus was belittling him. And so Peter draws back and he tells the Lord Jesus, hey, master, not me, not me, not me. That's when Jesus tells Peter quite frankly and quite bluntly, Peter, it's all or nothing. And that's when brash Peter opened his mouth another time. And he goes over the top and he says, well, Lord, you want to play that kind of game? Let's play it. You can wash me all over. But that's when Jesus told him another time, Peter, once you have had a bath, you're always had that bath. All you need now is a feet wash. But think about it, folks. That is so true in your life and mine as well, isn't it? When you and I came as sinners to Jesus, knelt at the foot of the cross, knew the joy and the thrill of sins forgiven, we were bathed, as it were. Oh, yeah, we were bathed. And that covers our sin, doesn't it? But you know as well as I do, we live in a dirty old world, a world that is polluted, a world that's riddled with all kinds of filth. And as we live and move about in today's world, our feet get dirty. And so they need to be washed day after day after day. You get the message of what Jesus is saying right here. You've had a bath. That's what happened at your conversion. But you need your feet washed every single day. I think you can probably see a pattern emerging there, can't you? You know, sadly, but Peter has got ideas about himself, doesn't he? I mean, Peter, bless him, he's got a big heart. There's no doubts about that, no questions there. He's certainly got a big head. We know that to be true. But sadly, on this occasion, he's living up to his name in that sense, and he definitely has a big mouth. There were times he was far too sure of himself. And this is one of them. He was a wee bit too cocky. Then you remember one fateful day, he really sunk to an all-time low. The stone hit rock bottom. But before we get there, let me say one more thing about John chapter 13. Jesus washed the feet of all the disciples. I can't prove this, but I'm simply throwing it out for you to think about. I wonder who washed the feet of Jesus. I have a hunch it may just have been Peter. Fast forward now to John chapter 18. Let's see what we have right here. So we go from the upper room. We now move in towards the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember at his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter was there again. <laughs> we can't get away from this guy, can we? Peter is there. And uh, put it very simply, Peter did the unthinkable, didn't he? Well, he cut the fellow's ear off. I mean, 
That was an act of bravado. But that's typical of our friend Peter. And then a couple of hours later, he just comes apart at the seams. You know, he's standing there at a wee fire. He wants to keep himself warm. It's a cold, chilly evening. And a wee girl, young lassie, recognized him. And he denied it. He denied it. Two more times, something similar happened. Two more times, he denied it. And so you see what's happening, folks. In the space of an hour or two, Peter denied the Lord Jesus no fewer than three times. There's a crack in that stone called Peter, isn't there? I think there's one or two lessons we can learn from that particular incident. Lesson number one is simply this, that not even a spiritual big hitter like Peter is immune to failure. Big people, big names, often fail and falter. Beloved friends, no matter who we are this evening, every one of us are vulnerable. It could be me today. It might be you tomorrow. And that's a challenge. And the second lesson we learn is this, is that God knows our Achilles heel. God knows our Achilles heel, doesn't he? He knows our precise breaking point. He not only knows our strengths, but he's also very much aware of our weaknesses. Insomuch that he also prayed for Peter, that his faith, it would not fail. Our strength, my dear friends, is not in ourselves. Our strength is found exclusively in the living Lord. Now, step back a tiny little bit here. And let's look at the four steps that led to Peter's denial. Four steps that led to Peter's denial. Number one, he relied on the flesh when faced with opposition. And that's what you have down there in verse 10 and in verse 11. He relied on the flesh when faced with opposition. I mean, dear friends, a fisherman with a sword in his hand. That don't bear thinking about, does it? And yet that's exactly what's happening right here. And it's a reminder of the words of the old chorus and indeed the teaching of the Apostle Paul that the arm of flesh failure. The second thing was this. Peter was reluctant to stand alone when he found himself in wrong company. He's reluctant to stand alone when he finds himself in wrong company. And that's which I further down the page there in verse 15 to verse 18 of John chapter 18. He's there at that fire. Okay, innocently perhaps warming himself. It was a bitterly cold evening. But that's not the place for a disciple of Jesus Christ to be. It would have been better for him if he had not been there. And so there are things in your life and mine that may seem to be okay. But wisdom would say it's best not to be there. It's wiser not to go there. The third thing was this. He resisted being identified with Christ when threatened by the outcome. Take a look down the page in verse 25. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, you are not one of his disciples, are you? 
He denied it, saying, I am not. He resisted being identified with Christ when threatened by the outcome. For Peter, the bubble burst eventually. Sad, isn't it? But that's often what happens in your life and mine. You play with fire. Sooner or later, you and I will get badly, badly burned. And then number four, he rejected the truth regardless of the consequences. And that's what you find down there in verse 26. He rejected the truth regardless of the consequences. You see, his accent had given him away. Peter was from the Galilee. He was a fisherman. And the people up there had a distinctly different accent to the locals down there in the city of Jerusalem. I mean, it's like me coming from Bangor, County Down, and meeting a life in Belfast. It's only 12 or 13 miles apart, but with two totally different accents. And I would venture to suggest this evening that if you were from Liverpool, there's a totally different accent to a scouser than what you would have somebody living in Ashton and Makerfield, born and bred. So different. And so what happens right here ought not to surprise us. His accent. He opened his mouth. It gave him away. Four things that led up to his denial. Now, let me say this in closing. Here are two principles that you and I can take on board, okay? Two principles we can take on board. Number one, when we are surrounded by wrongdoers, guess what happens? Doing wrong comes ever so easy. You know, my mother used to often say to me, son, watch your company. It will either make you or it will break you. And isn't that so very true, friends, for every single one of us? We need to watch our company. When we're surrounded by wrongdoers, doing wrong is so much easier to do. I mean, you can't walk through a coal mine and expect to stay clean. The dust on the dirt rubs off. And the second principle we take on board is this. The first step towards correction is not to act like we're strong, but to admit that we're weak. The first step toward correction is not to act like we're strong, but to admit that we're weak. That's very easy for you and I to watch and listen this evening and to point the finger at Peter, to sit back and condemn him for a whole variety of reasons. But let me bring it closer to home. If you had been wearing his sandals on each of those occasions, what would you have done? If I'd been wearing his sandals, what would I have done? I venture to suggest that possibly a good number of us would have done exactly the same as Peter did. You remember the other disciples. The other disciples had made a beeline. They went away from it all. You couldn't see them for dust. Sure, Peter failed. There's no doubts about that. But look, and get this. If you miss everything else, get this. Peter failed, but God didn't leave him high and dry, did he? No. You remember the message on that first Easter Lord's Day morning? It's a way back there in Mark chapter 16 and in verse 7. 
Look at Mark 16 and in verse 7. And you see what you have down there? But go, said the messenger, tell his disciples and Peter. Tell the disciples and Peter. Aren't you glad today? In the words of the week chorus, there is a way back to God. Thank God there is. Tell the disciples, but make sure you also tell Peter. There is a way back. As Peter discovered, and as Jonah discovered many, many years previously, your God and my God and their God is the God of the second and third and many more chances, isn't he? He's a God of grace, a God of faithfulness, a God of justice, and a God who longs to use you and me wherever and whenever. So while there are things about Peter's life that we might not fully understand or even appreciate, let's take on board many of the lessons for life that we can learn from Peter. And so the thing about it is, how not to lose face? As with last evening, take one long look at Jesus. God bless you. Amen.